Well, I want to echo those lyrics that we just sung in that last song that Eden led us in. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set us free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, our living hope. And, you know, some of us uh, sing that song or listen to watch that song being sung and we get it and we live that and we experience the resurrection. We know the story of Easter, Jesus's death and resurrection providing salvation for us. Uh, some of us are convinced that the resurrection of Jesus changes our lives. Um, that, that's not the case for everybody, though, is there? Um, you know, think back to Jesus's first followers. Think back to the people who were welcoming his empty tomb that morning. You don't find any of them actually counting down from 10, standing outside there ready with the, the party poppers or anything like that, because Jesus was about to get resurrected. Remember, Jesus's followers didn't know that was coming. They honestly expected Jesus to do what dead people tend to do, and that's to stay dead. Um, we read that passage of scripture, and thanks everybody for participating in that. Those of you who helped us uh, with that scripture reading uh, from the, the, the Gospel of Luke. During that song that we just sang, it, it said on the first day of the week, which basically means the Sunday for them, that was the day after the Sabbath. And so Jesus has been crucified on the, on the Friday, and then it's the Sabbath. And then on the first day of the week, the Sabbath is done, and his devastated friends are wondering what to do. And it says that they, the women went to the tomb with spices that they had prepared to reduce the odor from the dead body. And they're going to use these to anoint Jesus's body. Now, think for a minute. They thought he was the Messiah. They understood him to be their savior. Peter had declared so clearly earlier on, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. All of them had seen miracle after miracle. They'd all experienced everybody else kind of getting in on the act, the Palm Sunday experience of, of, of a large crowd in the city of Jerusalem, waving palm branches, putting their cloaks out, uh, shouting Hosanna, basically responding to the, the truth, the growing belief that Jesus was the Savior. They didn't expect death. They didn't plan on a crucifixion. Well, you, you never know death's coming, do you? That's why it's so, so shocking. And they get to the tomb and Luke, the gospel writer, who, who says at the very beginning of his gospel, the, of, his, of his letter, that he, that he says, I thoroughly investigated every part of this story. So presumably talking to eyewitnesses, um, getting all the evidence needed to put, to put together a careful and thoughtful account of what took place. And he says that when they entered the, when they entered the tomb, they did not find the body of Jesus. And in verse four of that passage that we sung, it says, while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men, presumably angels, in clothes that gleamed like lightning, stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. And then that passage of scripture continues in verse nine. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to the others. So this group of women, and it mentions their name in verse 10, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them told this to the apostles. And so they run into this house where the, the other followers of Jesus are staying, where the men are staying, and they announce um, what's taken place, what they've just experienced. But verse 11 says, they did not believe the women because their words seem to them like nonsense. That's, 
You, you could be forgiven for, for having that kind of response. So if you're a, a skeptic today, you're not alone because you've got this one group of Jesus's friends, this group of women going to try and convince another group of Jesus's friends that according to a couple of angels, Jesus has risen from the dead. And it's a group of women in the first place and their testimony in that culture was seen as invalid. Theologian N.T. Wright says, having the first witnesses to the resurrection being women was so counterintuitive in that culture to think that the Bible is trying to prove something is ludicrous. You see, the gospel writers were just reporting what the eyewitnesses said had happened. None of these followers assumed that there would be a resurrection. And that passage of scripture continues in verse 12. It says, Peter got up and ran to the tomb. I'm just imagining this scene, the women running in, uh, letting people know what just took place in this group of people saying that is just nonsense. But Peter's thinking, wait a minute, I'm just going to I'm just going to go to the tomb and check. And it says that Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had used to embalm his body uh, lying by themselves. And he went away wondering to himself what had just happened. Get this. This is so important that the people here, those who had ringside seats to the action of Jesus's life and the things that he said were going to happen, uh, were somewhat skeptical at the beginning. Peter didn't run away saying, oh, whoop-de-doo, there's been a resurrection. Let's, you know, get some party poppers. Let's paint eggs. You know, he wasn't thinking all of a sudden that everything had changed. It says he went away wondering to himself what had happened. It's incredible that the gospel writer, Luke, who's trying to give an honest account of what took place, portrays the skepticism of the person who would, by the time Luke has written this letter, would later become one of the leading figures in the church. The Bible documents the disbelief of the early followers of Jesus. And this is totally consistent with the responses of the disciples to Jesus's claims that he would be uh, tortured, that he would be crucified, that he would be killed by the authorities. Whenever they heard that, they wanted to say like, they wanted to block their ears and block their ears or think it's just a figure of speech. It's just kind of Jesus, one of Jesus's sermons. They're blocking their ears or saying like, talk to the hand because the face ain't listening. Like messiahs don't die. It's not, it's not part of our agenda, Jesus. This whole thing of you, of you having to suffer under the hands of the authorities is not where we're going. They were puzzled. They were confused. They were devastated. They thought it was all over because skepticism over somebody being raised from the dead is normal. You know, earlier this week, I had an opportunity to sit down with a friend of mine, my friend Abdul Murray, who uh, was born and grew up in a Muslim home and was raised in the Islamic world. Uh, he's a, uh, a trial lawyer, uh, an educated man who spent about a 10 year, nine or 10 year period of his life investigating different religions on a quest for truth. And as he started to explore the claims of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus, uh, he was finally convinced uh, in a way that a lawyer, only a lawyer would do by weighing up the evidence for and against. And uh, I want you to enjoy this um, little interview I did with my friend, Abdu Murray. So, Abdu, it's great to be with you today. Thanks for joining us. How's the weather in Michigan today? 
Well, Colin, it's great to be with you all. It's actually fantastic. It's one of those rare gems in, the, in April and March time, you know, in the spring, where it's suddenly 70 and sunny outside. And so it feels like the summer. So I have a good dose of Michigan guilt, which means I need to get outside as soon as possible. So I can yeah. enjoy this before it goes away, because tomorrow it's going to be 40 degrees. And it might snow again. Yeah. <laughs> Well, um, let's get right into our, our conversation here. Uh, you're uh, a licensed attorney. Uh, you, you grew up in a Muslim home. Um, and so you've, you've approached this idea of, of the resurrection of Jesus from a different perspective than, than quite a lot of us. If you, as a lawyer, uh, were going to bring your closing arguments to the resurrection of Jesus, um, what would you say? How would you approach that? Uh, that's a great question, and I like the way you phrased it, too, because as a former Muslim, I was a Muslim for most of my life, I was skeptical of the evidence for the resurrection, because as a Muslim, you know, from the Quran, uh, I believed not only that Jesus did not rise from the dead, but he never was killed in the first place, that God saved him from the crucifixion, and therefore he couldn't have risen from the dead because he never died. So I actually approached this evidence to begin with from a skeptical perspective. But then I began to see the evidence mount, and there's a lot of it. But what I would do in the closing argument is I would try to give it in a memorable way, in, in a sort of an acronym for the jury to remember. So, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, here's my case for the resurrection of Jesus. Um, and I would give it to you in an acronym, C-A-S-E, the case for the resurrection of Jesus. And each letter in the acronym stands for a particular fact, what's called a strong fact. A strong fact is a fact that all of the, or nearly all, of the critical scholars who study the historical Jesus, whether they're Christian, conservative, liberal, atheist, what have you, they all agree on these four facts, or an impressive number of them agree across ideologies. So any theory about what happened to Jesus has to account for all four of these facts, and it has to account for all four of them well. If your theory does not account for all four facts, it's a bad theory. If your theory accounts for all four facts, but it accounts for them in a bad way, it's still a bad theory. So the question is this, does the resurrection of Jesus, the idea that Jesus died as a matter of fact, and then rose again as a matter of fact, bodily, does it account for all four facts, and does it account for them well? So here's what I would submit to you that, they, that, that it does. So we look at all four letters, C-A-S-E. Let's start with the C. The C is, stands for case, uh, sorry, stands for crucifixion, that Jesus died by crucifixion. Now, this is important because, as I said before, Muslims, about one and a half billion people on the planet, would deny that Jesus actually ever died. But they do so not for historical reasons, but they do so purely for theological reasons because the Quran, their holy book, tells them he did not die. Now, that is non-historical. Um, what the history shows us is that Jesus died under the Romans at the uh, uh, inception or at the urging of the religious leaders, uh, such that skeptical people like Bart Ehrman or John Dominic Crossan would say something like this, that Jesus died by crucifixion is as historical a fact as any ever could be. Mm -hmm. So we know Jesus died by crucifixion with the same kind of certainty that we know that George Washington was the first president of the United States um, and uh, that the Roman Empire fell and all kinds of things. We know this fact. So the C is established. Jesus died by crucifixion. 
But then we have the A in the acronym CASE, C-A-S-E. The A stands for the appearances of Jesus risen to the disciples. Now, what this means is this, is that all the evidence we have from the testimony of the disciples themselves, Jesus' closest followers, and those outside the inner circle all claimed that Jesus died, that they knew Jesus died, but that they also saw him with their own eyes risen from the dead. Now, they didn't see the surviving Jesus. They didn't see the, you know, got away with it Jesus, the escaping Jesus, the guy who didn't really die and he fooled somebody into it. No, they believed they saw Jesus die and that he claimed when he was alive again to have been risen. Now, why is this important? The reason this is important is because all of these people, take the first, the 11 disciples who were alive at the time that Jesus died and then rose again, you take all their testimony and all of them say, I saw him with my own eyes. And they were all willing to or did in fact die and were tortured for their belief that they saw him raised from the dead. Now, you might say, well, big deal. So what? People die for something they believed was true but was actually a lie all the time. But here's the difference. If you take a terrorist, for example, and they willingly die for an ideology that they were convinced by someone else was true, or you take um, a cult member like the Hale-Bopp folks from the, from the 90s, I believe it was, who were convinced that they were going to be taken up uh, by a, a spaceship following the Hale-Bopp comet, and they all killed themselves in the belief that they would go into the celestial sort of existence because of this. Notice something. All of those people were dying for something that they were convinced was true by someone else, but they didn't see with their own eyes. The disciples claimed they saw Jesus with their own eyes. They touched him with their own hands, that they ate breakfast with him with their own mouths, that they smelled the smells and saw the sights and all these things. In other words, if it wasn't true, they would have known that it wasn't true and they would have died for something they knew was a lie. The saying is true, liars make poor martyrs. And these men all were willing to or did in fact die for something they knew was false or more likely that they knew was true. That's why we have skeptics like Paula Fredrickson and Derek Ludemann, neither of whom is a Christian, both of whom are first-rate historians who would tell you that something along these lines, that the disciples saw something, including Paul as well later on, that they saw something that convinced them they saw the raised Jesus and they experienced him. Now they're saying, I don't know what they saw, I wasn't there, but I do know, Paula Fredrickson says this, I do know as a historian, they must have seen something. So that's the A in the acronym. So C, crucifixion, A, appearances. Mm -hmm. Then you have the S, and this is my favorite part. The S is, stands for the skeptics converted. The Bible tells us that, that James, the half-brother of Jesus, was a skeptic. He thought Jesus was a little bit out to lunch. He really didn't think Jesus had it all together. And he sort of, you can even see in the Gospels uh, that James was sort of like a little bit uh, mocking of Jesus at times. So he becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem, the very place where all of these things were, would, would have taken place. Now, what accounted for G James' sudden change of heart? It was that he saw Jesus raised from the dead you'd have to invent a whole lot of motivation for James to be willing to change his mind from a skeptic to a champion of the Christian faith in the very context in which Christianity is being tried and tested 
and then he willingly goes to uh, his suffering unless what he actually did see was the risen Jesus. Then we have Paul, and Paul is sort of my star witness. Mm -hmm. You know, as a trial lawyer, I can tell you this. If I had a witness who was on the other side of something and they disagreed with me, then they suddenly changed their position. Well, I would put that witness on the stand and have them sing their song to the jury for days and hours and all these kind of, if I could. Yeah. We have exactly that with Paul. He, by his own self-admission, was a persecutor of the church. And then he becomes its greatest champion. Why? Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 to 8, Jesus says, or sorry, Paul says that Jesus appeared to the disciples. And then he appeared to 500 people. And then he appeared to Paul. Lastly, he claims to have seen the risen Jesus. Now, what would you have to invent? What kind of strange motivations would you have to invent for Paul to give up this illustrious career he has in Judaism as a student of students, as a teacher of teacher, to give it all up and live a life of suffering, poverty, shipwrecks, and even death at the hands of the Romans, mm-hmm. other than that he saw the raised Jesus. The reality is, Paul is a star witness for the historical reality of Jesus' resurrection. So you have the C, the crucifixion. You have the A, the appearances of Jesus raised to the disciples. The S, the skeptics converted. And finally, you have the E, which stands for empty tomb. Now, the reason why this is important, now, not all scholars agree on the empty tomb, but an impressive number of skeptical and Christian scholars agree that one, Jesus' tomb was known, we knew where it was, and that three days later, it was empty. Mm-hmm. Why do we know that it was known? Because the, the Gospels record that it was the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Now, he was a member of the Sanhedrin. Why would you make up that name if it wasn't true? If you were trying to lie about a story and concoct a story, you wouldn't pick a famous person's tomb for him to be in because you could verify that he wasn't actually there because you could say either Joseph didn't exist or his tomb is, was never used by Jesus. You can go ask Joseph. You could do all this stuff. But they picked him because it's the way it happened. Then we know that it was empty. Because first, the invention, the response was, they stole the body. Well, why would you say they stole the body unless the body wasn't there? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The the very fabrication of the stolen body presupposes the tomb was empty, and by the way, was also known. And then finally, and this part is so amazing to me, who are the first witnesses to the resurrection? It's the women followers of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Now, if you were going to make up a story and make up a legend in first century Palestine, yeah where women's testimony was considered worthless or, at best, half that of a man. Who would you make be the witnesses? You'd make it Peter or James or John or someone. Bartholomew, you pick anybody of the 12. Certainly not not the women followers. Yet the Gospels all record it was the women followers who first saw the most important event in all of human history. That does two things for us. It gives us the credibility to say that if you were making up a story, you wouldn't make it the women to be the witnesses, but they were the witnesses, which means you weren't making it up. And two, it shows us something about what the power of the resurrection and Jesus' message actually is. He dignifies everyone, even the socially and culturally undignified. He tells women, your testimony and your your experience is so valid. I'm willing to reveal myself to you first of all people so that the world may know that I've come to redeem all people and that my, my resurrection is the power that gives us that life. 
I love it. Thanks so much, Abdu. Um, you have a you have a podcast that you've been. Uh, tell us about that a little bit, Mom. Absolutely. Now, if, if people are interested in um, knowing more about this particular evidence, um, I have a podcast that's uh, relatively new. Um, it uh, has only a few episodes out, but it's got far more to come. I've recorded quite a few. It's called The Defense Rests. And what it does is it takes a look at the claims for and the objections against the Christian faith from a legal perspective, from my trial lawyer experience. and looks at the rules of evidence and the rules of procedure, how judges think, how lawyers argue, how juries decide things, and ask the question, does the Christian faith stand up to that kind of scrutiny? And do other worldviews stand up to that kind of scrutiny? And I have two episodes that are dedicated to the evidence for the resurrection from a legal perspective that I just gave. That's great. I'm sure there's some people here that will uh, love to look that up. And we'll have um, a slide at the end of our service today with some of the information for that uh, podcast so people can find it. Abdumari, uh, rzim.org, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Um, we're so grateful to have you here. Thanks for joining us today. Good to see you again, Colin. Thanks. Well, let me tell you, go ahead to uh, wherever you get your podcasts from, The Defense Rests, and search for Abdu's podcast there. Uh, as well as that, if you go to YouTube and look up RZIM for Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, which is the group that uh, Abdu works with, uh, you won't waste a moment uh, looking at some of their content. It's, it's great stuff. One pastor in Georgia, Andy Stanley, is kind of famous for saying, these words, the foundation of the Christian faith is an event. The, crown, the foundation for the Christian faith is not faith, and the foundation for the Christian faith is not a book. It is an extraordinary event with profound implications. An extraordinary event with profound implications for your life, for your fears, for your hopes and your dreams. You see, Jesus said that God loved the world so much that whoever any one of us, whoever believes in him, for that person, death wouldn't be a, a moment of perishing in the end. It would just be a transition into eternal life. Believing in the resurrected Christ impacts our eternity. Even later on, Paul, who was one of the writers of the New Testament, uh, he wrote in a letter to the church in Corinth. He said, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. And then all those who have fallen, in fallen asleep in Christ, that's all those believers who've already died, they're lost. Did you get that? It says, if, you, if, if Christ is not raised, your faith is a complete waste of time because Christianity hangs on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If it didn't happen, you have no way to be forgiven of your sins and you are still living in your sin. And then in verse 19, Paul kind of digs this trench a little bit deeper even. He says this, listen to this. If only for this life we have to hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. If you're trusting Christ just to get a bit of a pick-me-up in the morning when you read your devotions, or you're only trusting in Christ just to get you through some bad days, if you're only trusting in Christ for this life, then you're one of the most miserable people on earth. That's basically what Paul, Paul is saying. You're to be pitied for what you're believing because your faith is futile if the resurrection didn't happen. If the resurrection didn't exist, then our life ends in perishing and death and our faith was a waste of time. 
But Jesus' life and resurrection impacts eternity for anyone who will call out to him and say, Jesus, I make you my Lord. I accept your resurrection is true and I make you my Lord and Savior. You know, I do want to say today, specifically today, as a day that could be one of the worst our country has faced for the harrowing effect of this coronavirus on our lives. That You know this, that the people who brought us the story of the death and resurrection of Jesus didn't believe in a, didn't have a faith that was anchored to a God who didn't allow uh, pain and suffering into the world. They knew that pain and suffering in large levels were part of life. The eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus saw and experienced more suffering and more pain probably than you and I could imagine, and yet they still believed. Andy Stanley again says this, Peter and his friends saw the worst thing imaginable happen to the best person they'd ever known, and they believed anyway. Their faith was not in an imaginary God who doesn't allow bad things to happen to good people. And that's because of this. It wasn't just the teaching of Jesus that reframed their lives. It was the resurrection of Jesus that reframed the lives of the disciples and fueled this exponential curve in their lives, the curve of willingness and commitment to take this message of Jesus to the ends of the earth, even though it meant for them eventual death um, for the cause. Because suffering is not the evidence of the absence of God. These men and women experienced extraordinary suffering and yet they maintained their faith anyway because the foundation of their faith wasn't in a God who creates a perfect world for us during this time. They experienced the anguish of the the greatest human that they'd ever known uh, going through the, the, the pain that he did. And then they experienced suffering in the loss of their own lives because of their faith in the resurrected Savior. Please don't understand me. I don't want to minimize uh, the pain and stress and anxiety that many of us have gone through in the last six weeks. In fact, I want to say a huge thanks and honor to those, especially those on the front lines, those in our medical community, those in healthcare, who have been risking their lives to save uh, their fellow man, the person who's just coming in desperate uh, for healthcare. And we want to continue to reach out to, to those, to those who are suffering and to those who are helping the suffering. But if you're feeling deserted today, it's okay to feel that way. And I don't want to invalidate those feelings of, of God feeling far away. And if you want to verbalize that, this Easter Sunday, it's as good a day as any to be honest with God about where we're at. Uh, and you're in good company because I love the, the words of King David uh, hundreds of years before Jesus Uh, died on the cross and reiterated these words. In Psalm 22, uh, King David said this when he was feeling like God was far away. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it, it can feel like that sometimes. He said this, why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry to you day by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. But at some point, in, his, in the poem that he was writing in Psalm 22, his, his uh, honest thoughts turned to the truth that undergirded his life. And in verse 3 and 4, he said, he said, Yet you are holy, 
enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. Let me be the one that tells you today, in the midst of feeling sometimes that this could just be nonsense, there is a God who reaches out and brings hope and peace to even the biggest skeptic. As alone as some of us can feel in our homes today, if you're like Peter and you're in that phase of like you're, you're wondering what happened, just like he was on that first Easter Sunday, or maybe you're wondering what, what's going on in our, in our nation in these, and in the, around the globe in the last six weeks, that you can still experience God's peace. God's peace is the thing that he always brings in response to our fear and our confusion. So if you've listened this far, I want to be the one to say to you this morning, open your heart and receive the resurrected king into your life. I'm going to, I'm going to pray in a moment. And uh, I believe that, uh, that you have the opportunity to pray with me and, and echo my words because I believe that Jesus Christ is knocking on the door of every heart to, today. And he's asking for that invitation to come in. And as we pray today, if you echo my, my words as I pray, and you want to pray, you want to invite the resurrected king into your life, I, I would love to know about that. And we have a, uh, on the front page of our website a, a digital connect card where you can just uh, connect with us on that and let us know. I invited Christ into my life today, and we'd love to connect back with you. But let's end this, uh, this, this time uh, today just with a prayer of accepting Christ into our lives today. Let's pray wherever you're at this morning. Let's pray together. Jesus, I open my heart to you today. I recognize that only you can fill the void that's in my life. I believe that you're the only way that I can find freedom from my hurt, from my pain, from my fears and anxieties. And I want to give my life to you. My life isn't much, but I want to give it to you as an offering. And I submit my life to you. I'm turning a different direction today. And I want to start following you. And it's in your great name that I pray.